Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 116 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, on a Tuesday evening, yes, a Tuesday evening, a very strange time to record the podcast, but I did mention on the last show that I was going to try to do a midweek episode talking about the draft, and well, here we are. I am joined by people that are much smarter than me in this area. I am joined by Eric Cole, who everybody knows, and Matt Powers, so uh, welcome, gentlemen, to the podcast. Thanks for having me, buddy. Mm, thank you. Uh, you guys know things about the NBA, about the MLB draft that I do not know. Uh, I will say, uh, not an event that I am super plugged into. Uh, I, I did watch uh, for the most part on Monday night. Um, if only to see our good friend in the pro- podcast, Carlos Colazo, on television. Um, but that was so good. I've uh, yeah, it was. I've, I've, I've sort of read everything that you guys have written, but I will. I'll, I'll be the first to say that I'll be deferring to you both on uh, most of what transpires. On this podcast, I'm just going to I'm going to play facilitator and get out of the way. But obviously, the headliner is Carter Stewart, who the Braves took at number eight overall. Uh, seems like a pretty consensus positive pick from everything that I've read. People that I trust seems like you guys like that pick. But uh, Eric, I guess we'll start with you. How'd you feel about that particular selection? Uh, he was the guy that I wanted from the beginning. I I had him. Uh, I didn't really do like a hard, you know, like a top twenty-five ranking or anything like that of like draft prospects, but he would have been near the top for me. It's a big-time fastball, and the breaking ball is, if it's not as good as two keys, it's really close. And there's more, and there's enough smart people, including David Lee, uh, who I respect his opinion a lot, say that his might be better, um, which says a lot because I mean we're talking about like Looney Tunes curveball, two key. And Carter's might actually be better. Had, you know, it's one of the highest spin rates that's been recorded. Uh, really projectable arm. He has to learn how to throw a changeup, but you know, a kid who's kind of really learned how to spin a breaking ball like that and to make the improvements to his fastball necessary to go from you know probably like a fringe first round guy to being the you know in you know the discussion for like the top five overall um, is definitely something that's going to be really to be excited about. I was I was I've been in on him for a while. I was kind of less enamored with some of the other choices that have been connected with the Braves, so I was really happy. Matt, where were you on the pick, uh, you know, knowing what we know now? I loved it. When I did my top 100, I actually had him fourth overall on the entire board. I knew there was no chance at getting the guys at 1-3, to three, so in reality, Stewart was my number one guy on the board for the Braves. The way that he's grown in the last year is just amazing. He, last year over the summer at one of the big showcases, was throwing his fastball that 88 to 92 range, which it's not bad, but that's more of a mid to late first round, second round type guy that early in the process. He's found a way to add quite a bit to it. It's hit as hard as 97, 98. That uh, curveball is just cartoon-like. I mean, the projection... That's still remaining on that 6'6", 200-pound frame just gives you the potential to even add more to that. When you have two double-plus pitches like that, of course you don't really need the changeup because 
there's no high school hitter in America that can really catch up to those two pitches. So that's something for him to work on. But he throws strikes and has two amazing pitches. Yeah, it's a good place to start, obviously, from what you uh, everything we've heard here. You know, Brian Bridges said that, they, that he was number one on their board. You always want to uh, – I would, I would suggest to people keeping your guard up on that a little bit because – uh, you know, front offices have every indicate have every reason to say that about guys they draft. But at the same time, you know, being that he was arguably the top prep arm, it, he actually could have been number one on their board pretty conceivably. Because considering their recent past, that's something I wanted to ask you guys. You know, a lot of the reaction that you probably would predict is that oh, the Braves took another arm in the draft, another 18 year old arm. Uh, I was okay with that, but at the same time, of course, that was I'm sure that reaction was out there. What do you what would you say to the people that were you know a little bit concerned or at least questioning uh, that decision? Um, I would say that I understand it, and if there was a bat that was like clearly better or even debatably better than Stewart, then I th- I would have been very interested in that pick because I was kind of wanting a, a bat as well. Um, but the options in play there were guys like Nolan Gorman, who was connected to the Braves a lot you know, up until like the last day of the draft. Uh, also guys like there was like Trevor Larnock and... Um, you know, like guys like Connor Scott and a few others. And I mean, Kyler Murray was never really in the discussion for the Braves. He kind of came out of nowhere and went ninth, but um, for uh, you know, which is kind of hilarious to me on a number of levels. But Stewart is the clearly superior player, and what you should do, especially with like a higher draft pick, you know, top top fifteen at the very least, is you need to draft the best player on available on your board. And I really think that's what they did, and I think that's what a lot of people when the Braves pick came up, a lot of people would have had Carter Stewart at the top of their board. And if you think it's a clear choice, and it seems like the Braves did, a uh, longtime Braves scout, Tom Batista, he saw Carter throw like, had like 18 strikeouts in one of his no-hitters. I assume he had more than one based on some of the reports that were coming out. And he said, okay, I've seen enough. Uh, he's our guy. Uh, so it seems like they've been on him for a long time. And it wouldn't be surprising to me if you know he was you know w- certainly one of the top pi- top players on their board. It'd be kind of hard to pass up on a, like a Casey Mize or a Joey Bart if that had happened. And I think that they would have picked them if they had been there. But at the same time, if you know a guy like that that you think that highly of is just sitting there, but you're worried that you're picking too many arms, that's silly. So that's how I feel about it. Yeah, and, and listen, I mean, a lot of people. I mean, of course, I'm just sort of the. I'm not. I, I probably wouldn't say that I'm the uh, super average Braves fan when it comes to the draft, but I'm not nearly as informed on that as I would be on a lot of things. And you, even before the draft was, even before the pick was coming down, uh, all the people that I trust, including you guys, were kind of saying, "Look, it's, this should be Carter Stewart. If he, you know, if that'd be the guy I would, I'd be taking." And you know, I have to trust that. And obviously, the profile is really there. Uh, Matt, I know you said you had him as you know one of your top five guys in this class overall. I'm assuming you didn't have any any issue with going with another high school arm either. Oh, absolutely not. I thought there's, even though I had him fourth overall behind my bar and Nick Madrigal, I thought that there's nobody in this draft that has higher overall upside. I mean, right now in the entire Brave system, he probably has as much upside as any pitcher that there is, including Tukey. I mean, you could argue Tukey has more upside overall, but they're probably right there with each other that you can argue for either. Yeah, I, I look forward to uh, Eric, especially having to put um, Carter Stewart on a prospect list in the near future. So good luck with that, Eric. Enjoy yourself. Oh, I'll put it. Oh, I, 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 we're going to get asked, so I'll go ahead and put it out there. Oh, it's I, happening. No, well, <laughs> no. Uh, so, so, so let's just go ahead and get this out of the way. We, we've kind of roughly talked about this, and I'll let Matt kind of. And again, we haven't like finalized those rankings right now. F- 
five to seven is where he'll be. I'm not exactly sure where yet because I've really like finalized my thoughts on a few guys, but right around five to seven is kind of where I think I'll I'll put him for sure. What about you? Uh, Matt? Yeah, he's going to be right in that range for me. I mean, you just can't ignore upside, and he brings plenty of that. So he might not have the floor that a Kyle Wright does because obviously a prep pitcher has a lot more room that he has to grow into before he gets close to where Kyle Wright is. But he'll be in that range, that five to seven. And I think he's going to be on some top 100 prospect lists too. I don't know if he'll be on all of them, but he'll be on he'll be on several of them for sure. This is where you Definitely. guys uh, sort of earn your earn your money, I will say, in the, sort of the grand uh, in the grand scheme is you know trying to place a guy who is you know eighteen and never pitched professionally on a list against guys who are twenty two and close to the majors. That's one of the toughest things that I have always thought when looking at these prospect lists. Is like it's really really tough to compare guys, especially this early, right after the draft, uh, a prep arm, especially uh, that's so. I mean, even if you think he's the most polished guy in the world, he's still eighteen and is a prep arm. And trying to compare that guy to a you know close to the majors bat is like almost impossible. Well, I mean, the, the thing you just have to be able to be willing to do is like make a guess, and then after you get more information, you have to be willing to change that. You know what I mean? You can't just lock in like, well, I ranked this guy six, so if I drop him down into the teens because all the reports have been bad on him, then that's you're not. I can't. If you're saying I can't do that, then that's not, you're not doing yourself any favors with what the information we have, uh, and just kind of, ball, kind of ballparking kind of how our philosophy on things works. And you know, all of us have different ways of looking at things. Uh, I, I'm I'm sure that there might be someone that has him higher than five, fifth, and seventh. You know, Matt and I have him there, but you know, maybe Garrett goes higher than that, or maybe Garav does. It's hard to tell right now. But you know, at the same time, we're all willing to change our minds, and that's kind of the important thing. It's just kind of make sure it's a fluid sort of thinking about it. Yeah, I'd say it almost has to be, and I, I do not envy you guys when it comes to those kind of evaluations, and it's one of those times when uh, I'm sure it's fun, and you guys are very qualified to do all those evaluations, but something that I would de- I would definitely have a hard time with. Um, I have a feeling we're talking about, talking about Carter Stewart quite a bit in the coming days, so let's leave him for a bit here. Uh, oh, sorry, one more thing on Carter Stewart that sort of leads into our next couple of things. Any concerns about signability, slot kind of stuff? Because that's always the question that I get that I can't necessarily answer is like, how signable is this guy, and how much does that impact the rest of the draft board? You guys are much more qualified to answer that, so I will pass it on to either of you to talk about sort of the way that the uh, the uh, the bonus pool sort of stacks up here. Matt, you're up, buddy. <laughs> I don't think that he's going to be any problem to sign. I mean, he might be a little bit over, maybe a little bit under. He should probably come in fairly around slot. This is what I was thinking when he was announced. The picks that have come since he's been announced definitely make it seem like it's not the Kyle Wright situation all over again where you kind of knew that the entire bonus pool was tied up. You know that they're going to have some money to throw around on some other guys. So it should be a done deal, and they should have some money to spend after him. And while he was ranked highly, if the Braves hadn't taken him at eight, and I think Matt would agree with me, he wouldn't have gone until like the early to mid-teens just because high school prep arms is like the scariest thing to take in the draft. You have to kind of really be brave in a lot of ways it's really worked out well for the braves because a lot of their best prospects were started off as prep picks that they made but a lot of teams don't do that uh and so even if they might think like carter's a better player they'll go with a safer pick like a college a college pitcher or a position player so as a result i don't think that he's his monetary demands or expectations are the same as say other picks would be Mm-hmm. And especially not just prep pitchers, but prep right-handed pitchers have even less room for error just because there's so many of them, especially in a year like this. 
Yeah, that makes uh, perfect sense. And okay, sort of, we'll use that as a bridge here uh, because it looks like he's you know going to be signable from what you guys are saying. Uh, any concerns about anybody else below that? Because I know something, you know, you, you read what you read and kind of, uh, you know, especially with, uh, I guess, Tristan Beck kind of being a, uh, a pretty highly rated kind of guy um, that fell to, what, pick 112 in the fourth round. Uh, any other signability concerns in those first few picks outside of Carter based on the fact that you probably have to pay him at least close to slot value? I think that signability, like, it, a lot of those concerns are vetted ahead of time these days. Uh, there used to be where, like, you know, like second and third round picks or even first round picks wouldn't sign based under, like, old systems. But the penalty for not signing picks, especially ones that are, like, earlier in the draft to your pool are such that you really have to be absolutely sure that if you pick a guy that he's going to sign. I think that three players in the first ten rounds last year didn't sign. Uh, and none of them were particularly, like, high-rate picks, I don't think. So I don't think that the Braves would have picked Beck. If they, he wasn't going to sign, I'm. It makes me think that the, maybe that Carter Stewart was a little bit under slot to get him though, because I mean, depending on where you look at, which rankings you look at, Beck was a first or a second round pick uh, in terms of where his overall ranking was. Uh, there's obviously some current concerns about you know coming back from injury and his stuff kind of took a step back a little bit, but he was still very good this year for Stanford. But this is a guy the Braves have been connected to for a long time. I think they knew exactly what Beck was willing to sign for. Um, and he doesn't have a ton of leverage right now. So that's that's no. my general thing. I think Matt has more thoughts on that than I do, though. Yeah, not just the injury, but you have to remember, he was draft eligible as a sophomore last year. Players that are draft eligible as a sophomore are only draft eligible because they're old for the class. So right now he's old for his junior class, which would technically have him the same age as a senior. He's going to be 22 years old later this month. If he was to try to take his chances next year, he probably would not start after the draft pitching until late June, which is when his birthday is. He'd be turning 23 years old at that time. And as a prospect to begin your minor league career at age 23, that really takes away a lot of opportunity to grow. So he doesn't have as much leverage as you might think. He might be a little bit over slot, but I don't think that he's got much concerns about signability. Yeah, so, I mean, it sounds like we're, uh, you know, and that's kind of what, you know, it always makes sense for people that don't necessarily follow the baseball draft super closely, especially if you know, someone like me who's always following, you know, NFL draft, NBA draft, probably more so than baseball draft. Guys never don't sign in those sports, so I think it's always interesting to translate and uh, having a class that looks like they probably will all sign is always easier to sort of follow as a casual fan, I will say. Um, as a, from a player standpoint, obviously, um, you know Beck was considered to be a pretty big home run in a lot of people's minds. Trey Riley as well in the fifth round was, I guess, considered to be a pretty good bargain. And Grayson, is it, is it Janista? Is that, is that, is I'm, I'm, I'm re- I am reasonably certain it's Janista. I'll actually ask him. I've actually already talked to him briefly. Of course you have. Uh, yeah, yeah, got to, got to, got, got to, got to get in there. Got to get in early. Uh, but you know, I, 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 I hope to talk to him. But anyway, I, I'm pretty sure it's Janista. That's what I've heard. Uh, heard it pronounced. Um, I'll let I'll let Matt talk about Trey Riley because frankly, I knew very, very little about him. But he was Matt was super excited about him when the Braves picked him. Um, but I really like the Janista pick. He's kind of like a classic sort of buy low second round pick where a guy that came in, Alec Bohm is his teammate and he got picked third overall. But before the spring started, it was debatable as to which between the two of those were the better prospect on that, that Wichita state team. Uh, he, he's a guy that has a really strong history with a wood bat. Uh, the Cape Cod league is the kind of the big wood bat league that college prospects go to 
to sort of showcase like the talents, like kind of top talent against top talent. The summer league that happens and it, it showcases their ability with wood bats. It's one of the reasons why Seth Beer has not did not his stock did not go up because his you know his history with wood bats is not very good. Genesis is the exact opposite. He was like the he was the MVP of the the Cape Cod League. Mm-hmm. Um, spring was spring was a little uneven for Janista, but Brian Bridges was pretty clear. He's like I, he looked like he was pressing and just trying to impress at the plate. Uh, you know the year of his, you know the year that he was going to be drafted, and you know he did some things that he normally doesn't do. But he's a guy with big time power and a really strong track track record, both just hitting in college in general, as well as simply just being good with a wood bat, which is something that you really kind of need to be able to showcase uh, if you're going to be a high pick. He has that, but because he had a down spring, he slipped to the second round, and the Braves scooped him up, and I was really happy about the pick. I just want to add though for down a down spring he actually saw his ops from a year ago drop by one point from 922 to 921 still hit 309 it's just that the power numbers were quite a bit lower than you'd expect from a guy who has potentially plus potentially even plus plus raw power in there it's just that he's got to unlock it which his swing is built more for hard line drive contact than the power at the moment which is something that they're going to need to work on, but it's in there. So I've seen him listed as a first baseman in most places. Is that going to be his projected pl- uh, place on the diamond for you guys, or is there a chance he can play somewhere else? No. The, uh, Brian Bridges did an interview with Grant McCauley yesterday, uh, and he was pretty clear that he was going to be in the outfield. I'm not really sure why uh, in the draft tracker and stuff like that he was listed as a first baseman. I was hoping he could uh, actually <laughs> answer that one. That uh, one I can answer. He was actually, when I ranked him out of high school a couple of years ago, I actually had him listed as a first baseman. He played a lot of first base. He, A lot of people assume because of his big frame that he's going to be a first baseman. He's actually a lot more athletic than you'd expect with his frame. He's an average runner, which you would not expect. He probably will slow down as he adds a little bit more weight and maturity into that frame. But he played some center field in college, which you would not expect from a guy that big. But left field seems like an ideal home for him. Yeah, and you always want um, you know guys who can not be pure first baseman is always a good thing, frankly. So that's something I wanted to at least hear. Um, we, we sort of mentioned the other guys that we talked about a little bit: Tristan Beck and Trey Riley. The next couple of picks. I know um, we, you know, Eric said Matt want to talk about um, Trey Riley. Anything that I should know about those two guys? Probably the easy way to ask that because it's always interesting to follow guys, especially when you get into you know rounds four and five that are that are potentially considered to be top, you know, eighty to hundred overall prospects. Have fun talking about Trey. Go ahead, Matt. <laughs> you want to start with Trey, or do you want to go right to Tristan in order? Um, you can do. You go Trey ahead and Riley. talk. Go you, ahead. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Riley's uh, definitely a guy that kind of came out of nowhere he was a junior college guy from the cold weather states obviously he's got a lot more rawness to his overall game but he's got that two-pitch mix that just really lights things up when i wrote earlier this morning about 10 guys that i'd like to see the braves take with their third round pick that is obviously missing that they should be targeting with that third round pick before the start of the third round I actually had Riley listed on that. I thought that just the upside of his pitches, if he's able to smooth out some of the rough edges in his game, would potentially make him a good, strong number three starter, possibly even a number two starter if he can really find a way to mature as a pitcher, 
which is not really out of the question because when you consider that he's got projection and he's a cold weather arm. So uh, and as a <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, he, yeah, he was, yeah. I mean, he's, he's kind of like one of those JUCO picks that you know is highly thought of, and to like be a JUCO player and to get like put in the top 100 draft prospects, I mean, you have to really stand out because there's a lot of guys who can just kind of throw hard in JUCO, but they can't really do much else. You have to kind of really kind of get a scout's attention to get that. Uh, as for Tristan Beck. Right now, he's, he's, you know, he's kind of a fastball, low 90s guy, has a really good changeup. Uh, breaking balls should be average, possibly more his stuff, but that's, that's after his stuff has backed up a bit. Uh, part of the problem for Beck was that he had a stress, a stress fracture in his back that kind of really messed him up last year as a draft-eligible sophomore, uh, which is why he ultimately was just telling teams not to sign him if they weren't going to pick him in the first round last year. Uh, this year, he kind of that was there's like a recovery period from that. Uh, seemed to have looked better later in the spring, um, but still put up really, really strong results. And you know, he's a guy that's a kind of a polished pitcher. That I mean, he's gonna he'll move very quickly through the lower minors. I have no question about that. It's how his stuff looks as he gets kind of to that double and triple A level. It'll be interesting to see. But for I mean, for a fourth round pick that you I mean you have to go over slot probably to get him, but maybe not by as much as a lot of people would think. Um, it's it's a, it's a great pickup. It's because you know he has a track record at a really good school. The Braves have been connected to him forever. Uh, I actually heard a funny thing on Twitter earlier, which was in 2015, the Braves wanted to draft Beck coming out of high school, but he wanted to go to Stanford. So their backup plan was one Canadian prep ready Mike Soroka. Your boy which worked out. So now they've got both of them. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, I mean, if so, if if you think about it in those terms, like the, the, the Braves have. Thought about spending a first-round pick on him back in 2015. They thought about p- drafting him in the second round last year, but they, you know, they couldn't line up on the bonus demands. And Beck was kind of betting on himself with the injury. I mean, this is a there's this is a this is a scouting department that really knows pitching. And if they've if they're really in on this guy as much as they have been, I mean, if if it kind of, as it kind of seems, and they are not lying in saying that if they had had their third-round pick, they would have picked Beck anyway, which is what the Bridges was saying earlier. Uh, there's a lot to like about it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Go ahead. I just want to add his stuff actually at the start of the year was back to completely where it was at in 2016 before the injury. After a couple starts of just pure dominance, his stuff started to back up, which that might have been due to the layoff and trying to come back and pitch that kind of workload. So I'm thinking that that was definitely injury related, but his stuff wasn't bad and clearly he still had the results. I'm betting that he's going to come back around with some work with the pro team. Yeah, and Eric, uh, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the third round pick. People were asking. I even got a question uh, in my DM box, uh, basically saying, basically asking me how much, if at all, that lack of a third rounder hurt the Braves. And you know, obviously, it hurts them not having an extra body around. But because it looks like they did so well in rounds four, five, and maybe even, maybe even six, that it doesn't necessarily sting as much. So, I mean, how do you guys feel about, obviously we, uh, there's some, there's some writing, some written content up on talking chalk, talking about what the, what the Braves could have had, uh, had they uh, had that third round pick, but uh, in a vacuum here, how much does that pick sort of hurt at this point? So uh, it's kind of funny because I wrote an article, not maybe, I don't know, maybe a week or two ago, explaining kind of what that loss was. The slot value in terms of the bonus pool that the Braves lost was around $675,000. Which is not which is not an insignificant amount of money, especially when you want to try to like you know go over slot with a second round pick to maybe grab a guy that fell out of the first round, but maybe wouldn't be going to school. That maybe that may have been the difference between the Braves 
for example, drafting Kumar Rocker in the second round or something like that and grabbing him, who's a very high-end pitching prospect, but now he's going to be going to Vanderbilt because no one could match his bonus demands. But at the same time, the guys that, that – because there were so many other teams that just had so much bonus pool money, I never really thought, even with a third-round pick, that that was going to be a feasible strategy, kind of like the – you know, the Ian Anderson, Kyle Muller, Joey Wentz, where we just like grab three first rounders and then run away, you know, cackling, laughing because they had all this bonus pool money they could they could throw at these guys. Instead, what happened is the way the draft fell is that there was almost like there was so, so many. It was such a deep draft that so many of the, there was a lot of guys that they could that teams were fighting over, like with bonus pool and like, you know, bidding. I mean, like, I mean, just the, some of the names that fell into the comp rounds and into the second round that ended up getting like over over bonus pool money and things like that worked out really well for the Braves because then there are these guys who are like slightly overpool types that they the Braves still had enough money and still had made strong enough connections with that they could grab them. I mean, if the Braves, if you had told me at the beginning of round four that the Braves were going to dra- be able to draft tr- Tristan Beck, I would have been happy with that if, that if they had said that at the third round. So it's almost like, yeah, the bonus pool matters and, you know, obviously the extra body matters and you never really know who you would have, the Braves would have been able to grab given the extra money and all that other stuff. But if you look at the draft class as a whole, basically what it feels like is that they lost a senior sign. That's pretty much what happened. It's like, you know, towards the back end of the draft, there's just one less, you know, warm body that, you know, you just use to save money. But instead, they just filled up their draft class with a lot of, with some really strong players, you know, and then obviously a few senior signs at the end. But, Overall, it doesn't feel like a draft class where you lost a draft pick. I guess that's my point. Oh, yeah, I'm going to completely agree with that. I mean, in the start of the fourth round, I made the comment on Twitter that uh, I listed a bunch of guys that I wanted to see, and I thought the prep guys that I listed were pretty much going to be unsignable. But I listed Beck as a guy that might not be affordable, even though he'd be my top choice there. He ended up being affordable, but that just goes to show you that how little that third round pick being gone hurt the Braves. It really did not. It, you would have expected that it would have hurt more, especially with the money that's lost, the player that's lost, because that was a very deep part of this year's draft. But they ended up getting my number four, 32, 38, and 70th ranked players in my top 100. I mean, that's basically the top upside guy in the draft and three guys that are first to second round type talents. Yeah. I mean, you can't, can't argue with that uh, takeaway. Obviously again, it would have been nice to have another body around, but still pretty darn impressive. Um, I, I will go ahead. I will say, I will say this though. The extra bonus pool money might matter tomorrow because yes. even if like that, like the second day went, the second day went extraordinarily well for the Braves as did the first day, but they don't have extra bonus pool money to throw at like the 11th through 40th round guys. And that matters with like those 11th, 12th and 13th round picks because you, you can, you can spend $125,000 right now on any one of those players. And that does not count towards your bonus pool. Anything beyond that does count towards your bonus pool. So if a guy had fallen, you know, a guy that maybe was going to go to school or, you know, a, a talent that doesn't necessarily fit into the, either the first round conversation or kind of just generally how the, the second day of the draft, how those picks fall. What could happen, though, is that the Braves could see a guy that they really like in like the 11th, 12th and 13th round that a lot of other teams like and still have money for. And they won't be able to compete for those. And that will that that could matter. But, you know, that's just kind of the way that's just kind of the way it goes. And they. 
I don't know exactly what the bonus pool situation is, mainly because we don't know what Carter Stewart's signing for or what that what he agreed to. But at you know at the end of the day, it's more of a minor quibble than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah, makes I sense. Agree. Go ahead. Uh, I mean, I was uh, I was going to ask actually a good sort of bridge there to kind of what the plan would be. Uh, of course, we're recording this Tuesday night. There's still more drafting to be done on Wednesday. Um, before we get into the uh, sort of the rest of the you know last 30 rounds or so, anybody else that you guys want to talk about that's already been selected round six through ten? Uh, obviously, a couple of names in there that you know I at least semi recognize from reading things, but nobody that I necessarily know a lot about. So either of you, feel free to shed light that you have on any of guys that we have not talked about so far. I'll let Eric go first. Uh, I re- I really liked the um the the kid out of oh god well I, I'm not, not my mom, bro. Yeah, the uh, Andrew Moritz. Yeah, Andrew Moritz. Yes, Uh, I really like those kind of guys that just have a really good hit tool, especially the way the baseball is jumping right now. Because as long as you have a really good hit tool, uh, if Ozzy Albies and others have shown us that, like, pow, pow, like the power numbers might just be there anyway, as long as you can make contact with the baseball. And he's a guy that has has consistently made contact throughout his career, Uh, and I'm pretty sure that he's going to be able to play up the middle. So overall. Mm -hmm. Um, like of, of the sixth through 10th guys, that's kind of the guy that I'm the most excited about personally beyond that. It's kind of, you know, some like reliever types and senior sound senior sign types, but, uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's anyone else that you're excited about, Matt. Yeah, there is one, but I, yeah, I want to add Moritz, the guy that worked himself into a prospect. I mean, he led his conference in hitting all three years. His batting averages are 400, 392, 428. I mean, you can't get more productive than that. He's got speed. He's got plus speed. He should be a strong defender defender in center. So you've got a very good player. He has a similar profile, and I know this pick didn't work out to a Todd Cunningham, but Todd Cunningham was actually a pretty decent prospect. He didn't work out. But I think taking another guy with a similar tool set, obviously with a little less pressure on him to succeed because he was taken further down, is obviously a nice bet. And then, obviously, taking a son of a former Brave, A.J. Graffinino, the Washington shortstop. I'm not sure how much he's going to end up hitting, but he's a guy that, had he not dealt with injuries this year, would have gone quite a bit higher. He is a very, very good defender at shortstop. He's got the ability to run probably more above average than plus. He's shown some potential with the bat, although power definitely isn't really there. It's really just a question of if he's going to hit for enough hard contact but there's something to like and I could definitely see him being something of a super utility type of player who adds some defense some running and some ability to hit shouts to uh, his father uh, Braves legend Tony Graffinino who uh, played three years with the Braves 96-98 was a Braves draft pick not the uh, greatest major leaguer in the world the guy played for 13 years like that's a that's a guy who, uh, you know, not the most memorable piece in the world, but was a pretty solid major leaguer for a long time. So, just worth saying. I mean, I mean, there's not a lot of guys with 13-year major league careers. Correct. So, I mean, that, there's that. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you know, and by the way, a uh, career 729 OPS, which isn't anything special, but isn't awful. Totally fine for a, uh, an infielder sort of utility type. So, anyway. He's no Charles Daniel Cass. Oh, He's no yes. Daniel Castro. He's no Charlie Culberson either, as we will, <laughs> uh, we, as we have to talk about. But anyway, I'm trying to leave Major League stuff off the podcast today. Okay, quickly before we uh, <laughs> let you guys get out of here, uh, any anything that you're looking for, looking you know, sort of moving on towards Wednesday. By the time people listen to this, I'm sure we're all going to sound stupid. But 
Uh, you know, 30 more rounds to go on Wednesday. You mentioned before some of the considerations and not having a ton of bonus pool, uh, at least uh, you know, sort of overflow bonus pool money left. But what are you guys looking for if you're looking in terms of overall strategy for 11 through 40? Um, for me, the, the Braves, they picked a, a high, high-end, high-talent, high-school arm with a top-10 pick, which is kind of in line with what we're used to. But then they went with a ton of college guys. <laughs> two through ten. Uh, so I'm I, the one thing I'm kind of generally looking for. I don't have any guys in particular that I'm looking for. I don't have any like you know unique insight as the guys that the Braves have been in on for like eleven through forty because eleven through forty. If anyone's ever even watched this, it's just like a rapid fire like computer voice just kind of like spitting out names, uh, and it's literally three like three fourths of the picks that the Braves are going to make this year. Uh, and I would imagine probably of the picks tomorrow, like maybe a third to a little bit less than that are not going to sign. Because they're they're just kind of like you know more like you know sign and track types where you sign them, uh, but you never really plan on them signing. But, you know, just kind of throw it out there and see if they you can throw a little money at them and maybe get them to change their mind that sort of stuff. Uh, I want to see if they're going to either draft more college types, um, just to kind of you know maybe fill the minor league ranks, especially the lower minors, because the penalties that were placed on the Braves they, that is kind of making things looking a little thin, kind of in the rookie ball. And then filtering up towards Rome, like it's gonna st- the, the the organization is gonna start feeling that more. So they might just need guys that they or they try to go with some like a high high school players that maybe aren't super highly thought of, but they have an exciting maybe one exciting tool, but you know have a lot like more projects. I want to kind of see what the draft strategy is for that because ultimately, you know this is kind of where like you fill out your minor league ranks and sure you can you can hit on guys there. It happens more often than I think people think. That you find a guy that ends up being really useful in that in that kind of that one of those day three picks, but kind of seeing what the general strategy is. What they have done recently is kind of really hit up like the the smaller colleges and the JUCOs and really snatching up a bunch of those guys. And they have found some really useful players that way. But I kind of want to see what they kind of how they're going to go about sort of you know you know filling out the rest of this draft class. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I'd like to see them go after the best prep guy they they can get, maybe. A- 250,000 type bonus. You have that first 125,000 in there for free and maybe you have 125,000 or so to play with is just a very weak estimate on my part on what they might have to play with, but try to see what you can get. If you can get somebody of maybe a B list guy, obviously no rocker or Wilcox type of player to sign for that amount, but maybe you can get somebody with some tools Go after some JUCO guys, guys that might be overlooked, some small college guys. Maybe bring in some college pitchability guys that can do something. Someone like a Bruce Zimmerman last year, obviously completely under the radar, doesn't have the best stuff, but he's got okay stuff, great pitchability. Someone like that, just let them grow in the system. Maybe find a guy or two with the carrying tool, some power, some speed, some defense. And then I wouldn't mind seeing a very late pick of Kumar Rocker. I mean, I know he's never going to sign, especially rounds 35 through 40, which is why I'm talking about taking him. But it'd be nice to see the Braves take a kid like that with his talent and his makeup and just let him get drafted. Sounds right. I mean, yeah, that's uh, basically what I thought you guys would say. But just uh, wanted to at least put it out there. All right, I, I really appreciate uh, both of your insights I am more informed now. I'm sure our listeners are more informed now. And uh, sounds like uh, you know everything is pretty positive. I can't I can't argue with anything that I've read and now listening to you guys. You know, basically, you know, 
I don't want. I don't know if you want to give. If you guys want to give grades, but looks like it's sort of a uh, a passing grade to be sure, and a, an exceedingly passing grade so far. You know, rounds one through ten. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really happy with the class. There's there there are going to be flashier classes out there. The you know the Royals and the Rays and a few others. They kind of they had a bunch of picks and they had a bunch of bonus pool money, so they have kind of more of the marquee names. And understandably, they should be lauded for being able to pick up a lot of like. In what was a very deep draft class, they got a really so they added some really good guys to the system. But given that the what the constraints the Braves had on them, uh, I mean, again we ha- we haven't gone through tomorrow, so I mean theoretically they could just like you know not be able to sign anybody or something, you know. <laughs> but uh, overall, I mean like the, the the draft gets an A for me. I mean they, they, you got one of the best talents in the draft, uh, you know, definitely a top five talent in the draft for me, uh, and then you get multiple guys that you know have debatable you know, first round grades and then a guy like a Trey Riley who is, you know, a really interesting pitching prospect and you get him for I think you know, pro you know, not a not significant amount of money in the fifth round. Uh and some guys that you can sort of, you know, dream on uh the rest of the way. Overall, I mean there's nothing else you can ask for a draft class, especially given what the Braves had to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm making a go a grade higher. I'm gonna go with the full A plus. I mean the highest upside guy in the entire draft, according to what I saw. They added Beck, they added uh, Riley, they added Janista, then they ended up getting uh, Moritz and Graffinino. You can't ask for anything more based on the amount of money that they had to spend. I love it. Uh, it's easy to get excited about stuff like that with uh, two guys that I absolutely trust. So thank you, gentlemen, for joining me. Uh, by the way, just please plug yourself, tell people where they can find you on Twitter, do all that fun stuff, uh, you know, aside from Talking Chop, which is an obvious on this podcast, go visit TalkingChop.com all the time. But Eric and Matt, please plug yourselves and everything else you're doing. Uh, you can find my work. Uh, for you, You'll find me on Twitter. You might not find me too much tomorrow or the next day simply because I'm unbelievably tired. Uh, my eyes hurt from do, uh, doing work. You can find, you can obviously find myself at Talking Chop, but I'm also the site manager over at Daily Dish, which has been part of the problem because Matt and I, Matt's actually been helping out over at Daily Dish as well. And the last 36 hours or so has involved very little sleep uh, and a lot of writing. Uh, the first, the first 35 picks uh, from the round from uh, of the draft all have individual profiles written written over at Daily Dish. Uh, Matt was in charge of grading every pick rounds one from the beginning of the draft through the end of round two, uh, which nearly resulted in his death, as it turns out. Um, uh, And it's uh, there's a lot there's a lot. We've done a lot of work on the draft in general. So if you want to, you know, go look over on Daily Dish and kind of go through all that. That's great, too. Uh, And obviously, uh, talking chop. I know Matt's going to have kind of a. Over at Daily Dish, he's going to be doing a you know kind of a recap of the entirety of day two, but also on Talking Chop, we're going to be kind of looking at these late round guys. Uh, this is kind of where Matt's kind of really loves the draft is like he knows all these like guys that we've ne- basically frankly never heard of, uh, and you know kind of figuring out what gems have been mined by the Braves and kind of what they're looking at and why uh, is kind of something that I personally am looking forward to. Beyond that, you know, lots of minor league coverage coming is always going to be coming out of the two of us as well as Garrett and Garav and, you know, doc and Aaron, uh, Aaron was also really helpful today as well. He, you know, he was, you know, writing up guys and it's uh, a lot of good things are coming. All straw breaks coming up, which means that the prospect list is going to be coming out, which means that we're going to shout at each other for about three weeks and then we'll figure out a list. So that's going to be coming up relatively soon. Beyond that, just make sure you're reading uh, talking chop as well as daily dish as well. You forgot something. I heard you were drafted by the Royals. Yeah. 
I, I was so disappointed the Braves didn't. Uh, Eric Cole from Arkansas. Uh, uh, Josh from over at uh, 755, the Battery uh, Battery Avenue. He, he he's a big Arkansas fan, and he he let me know that our the uh, Eric Cole, an outfielder from Arkansas, was very likely to be drafted. So we sort of joined forces just to try to get the Braves to draft him. Uh, oddly enough, Brian Bridges did respond to a tweet on this matter. Uh, sadly, he was picked. Uh, I think he was picked in the fourth round, right after the Brave picked back. Uh, and my selfish reasons for like having a Eric Cole jersey with the Braves logo on it, notwithstanding, I'm, I'm, I'm I am happier with the pick that the Braves made. <laughs> I love it. That's perfect. That's a perfect way to end this thing. Um, but uh, yeah, th- thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. Uh, do not follow me on Twitter for MLB draft takes. But uh, the Braves were awful on Monday night. We should at least mention. And the game's the game's about to start here on Tuesday night. But uh, Monday night was not a lot of fun at the major league level. So I'm glad the draft was was here to distract us all from that disaster. Um, so anyway, thank you, gentlemen. We will I'll be back again with, with another podcast Sunday evening, a, nor- a more normal show in which I am uh, more qualified to speak about what I'm talking about. But thank you guys for bailing me out this evening. No problem, man. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Uh, and it, yes, please subscribe to the podcast. Do all that fun stuff. We'll see you guys in a few days. Brad wants all of your Aussie Albies trade proposals. All of them. Make sure you send them.